Let us begin our sermon with prayer. Lord God, ruler of heaven and earth, cleanse our lives and purify our hearts so that your Son, the King of glory, may come in and lead us rejoicing to your heavenly city where with the Holy Spirit you live and reign, one God, now and forever. Amen. Our text for our sermon is Psalm 24, which is a psalm written by David. The earth is the Lord's and everything that fills it, the world and all who live in it, because he founded it on the seas and he established it on the rivers. Who may go up to the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? He who has clean hands and a pure heart, whose soul is not set in what is false, who does not swear deceitfully, he will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God who saves him. Such are the people of Jacob who look for the Lord, who seek your face. Interlude. Lift up your heads, you gates. Lift yourselves up, you ancient doors, and the King of glory will come in. Who is the King of glory? The Lord, strong and mighty. The Lord, mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, you gates. Lift up, you ancient doors. And the King of glory will come in. Who is this King of glory? The Lord of armies. He is the King of glory. Interlude. This is the word of our Lord. Brothers and sisters in Christ, it is Palm Sunday. And the people knew the long prophesied king was coming into Jerusalem. And they they threw their very coats down on the ground to lay out the proverbial red carpet. And those who didn't have cloaks, they grabbed palm branches and stripped them off the trees and threw them on the way, making that red carpet. They knew, they knew he was a king. They said, blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. And on Good Friday, he's hanging there on the cross. This didn't seem to be a king. This didn't seem to be an ushering in a coming kingdom at all. When Jesus appeared before Pilate, Pilate asked him, you are a king then. And Jesus said, I am a king. And he even made it clear that he had legions of angels he could call upon to stop that kangaroo court from the get go. He could have taken over with power. We'll see in today's sermon that comes later. Today we see Jesus is a king and we see his threefold kingdom. Now, our text begins by saying the earth belongs to the Lord and all that fills it. The world belongs to the Lord and all those who live in it. God created it. And it was God, the son, because he is the logos, the word, the Greek word for word is logos, the spokesman for the Trinity. So when God said, let there be light, that was Jesus pre-incarnate before he took on human flesh saying, let there be light. God created it. He made it. It's his world. You and I have the privilege and blessing of knowing that he made this world for you. Yes, Adam and Eve were the last things created on the sixth day. It was meant to be a paradise to serve them. It's weird for us to think with our American ears because we do. We enjoy a lot of freedoms that other people can't even imagine. It's weird for us to hear you're owned. God owns you because he created you. And he created the world for you. But being owned by God is not a cruel master at all. He's the kind of master that when somebody takes you away and kidnaps you, he will give his very life to win you back to his flock. Being owned by God means you are a prince and a princess in his kingdom. God owns all of creation and he rules over all that creation For mankind, the crown of his creation. 
And we're told in verse 2, For the Lord Himself laid a foundation for it upon the waters, and He has established it beside the rivers. God established where the dry ground would be. God created the water. And and the last part of that verse, it's hard to translate into English because in, in the Hebrew it's the ongoing tense. Rivers' courses change. But God's the one who says, nope, you're not going to flood past this point. Today, maybe the modern mind reading this psalm would say, God established the scientifical principles and he rules behind them. We could say he hides himself behind them. And we're thankful for those scientifical principles. If you have a headache, it's nice to know the right dosage of aspirin will make it go away. And isn't it nice to know that we can rely on such scientific principles as gravity so that you could fire an internal combustion engine this morning and drive to church and know that that vehicle was going to stay down on the earth and not float away into space? Oh, we take it for granted. And in fact, atheists come along because God has made these rules and he abides by them and they say, therefore, there must not be a God because they ignore the fact that he rules behind them. And yes... God sometimes does temporarily suspend those natural rules. For example, when he feeds 5,000 men, that's the men that were counted out of a boy's lunch sack. He fed the women and children too, so there was probably at least upward of 15,000 people there that day. Brothers and sisters in Christ, God's first kingdom is his kingdom of power, and it's his rule over all of creation. He owns it, he established it, and he rules over that kingdom of power for a reason. Each of his threefold kingdoms is to serve the next one. So let's get into the next one. He rules over his kingdom of power, that's over all creation, with all the principles, scientific principles, his rule in time and history, to put you specifically in the next kingdom, And keep you in that kingdom. Jesus told Pilate, my kingdom is not of this world. Jesus' kingdom is his rule in the hearts of believers. It comes to you when you hear the good news of salvation in Christ. When you don't hear not only about his entry into Jerusalem, but you hear about his coming out the other side with that cross on his back. You hear of his nailed to the cross and you see him on the cross and... You hear of him off the cross and the empty tomb. The Holy Spirit works through all that message to convince you that is yours. Back to our text. Who may go upon the Lord's mountain and who may stand on his holy place? Who of us can stand before the Lord? We are sinners. We sin by the minute just in our thoughts alone. We hold petty grudges and do not forgive the way God forgave us. And if we were to come anywhere near God, proverbially God's present everywhere, we'd be incinerated. How could we possibly do that? And the psalmist says, the one who is clean regarding his hands and the one who is pure regarding his heart. You work with your hands so the things he does is clean. And your heart, well, that's the seat of emotions. And we think of that, the Hebrews thought of that as the seat of their thoughts, who's clean on the inside as well. But because of original sin, because Adam and Eve fell, we aren't clean on the inside. And because we're not clean on the inside, the things we do on the outside are all full of yuckiness, right? That's why we have a Savior. And when the Holy Spirit enters our heart, even as believers, the things we do as out of thanks and praise to God. Thank you, Lord, for salvation. Thank you for putting me in your kingdom, the invisible church, your kingdom of grace. Even those things are tainted by our sin. 
And so our Savior's blood washes those sins away. Our Savior sent the Holy Spirit who entered our hearts and created the new man. And there's a conduit of the Savior's blood there washing away every time that sinful nature gets one of the sins to go to fly under the radar of that new man. So you, you can stand on the Lord's mountain. You can stand in his holy place because you are a member of the invisible church. Because Christ, Christ has put you there. You are in his kingdom of grace and he's ruled over his kingdom of power to put you there. And so he were told, who does not lift up my soul to falsehood? And the Hebrew word for falsehood is actually emptiness. Right here is the second commandment. Literally in the Hebrew, it's do not lift up the name of the Lord for the emptiness. When God has saved you, when he's put you in his kingdom, he wrote his name on you. Property of God. Jesus' little lamb. To treat his name with contempt. To run off to hear people teach false things to us. Work righteousness. Things that if we want to believe that we did a little bit to contribute our salvation or a lot. We're lifting up his name for emptiness. And it's a lie. But we've been given his name to call upon it in every trouble to pray, praise, and give thanks. And when he put you in his kingdom, he branded you. Jesus is lamb. And you do not treat it as vain and empty, even though our sinful nature wants us to. And so it also says, and who does not take an oath deceitfully? Yes, God has given you his name to swear by, and you can defend your neighbor's life and property and your own in court. But when you swear by God's name, you are swearing everything that matters. And so only an unbeliever can swear by God's name and blatantly lie. Only it's an act of unbelief and rejection to take his name lightly. He put you in his kingdom and branded you so that with Jesus' little lamb, so that you would know that you are God's and you're his little lamb. And so we're told of that. Now that you're in his kingdom, verse 5 says, He will carry away blessings proceeding from the Lord and righteousness from the God who causes his salvation. Even in the Old Testament, if you wanted to know, how am I put in God's kingdom of grace? There it is. Who causes his salvation. God saves you. Not you or I. Not someone else. But I think it's very interesting. He will carry away blessings that proceed from the Lord. In the Hebrew picture, you're constantly doing this. God has just got a warehouse that never empties out. But you know what? The blessings for one person might not be the blessings for the next. Now, the blessing that's the same for all is salvation and forgiveness of sins. But I struggle with different sins than you do. So I need different sins forgiven than you do. And we have similar sins as well. One person, a blessing, a material blessing of this world could be wealth. And another person, maybe if they had wealth, they would be a lousy steward and they would let that money become their God and they would quit trusting in God. So God's blessing that he pours on them is to keep wealth from their hands. Brothers and sisters in Christ, we don't get to define what the blessing is. The all-knowing God who rules in his kingdom of power to bring you to and keep you in the faith, he knows what you need and he pours his blessings on you. And we tend to, just like the scientific principles that, he, that we call them, the natural laws he rules over creation with, that he created, we also tend to take his blessings for granted, even though they're right under our nose. I look out at a bunch of sheep that God has entrusted to my care. You're my brothers and sisters in Christ. What a blessing to have every one of you as my brother and sister in Christ. A spouse, a godly spouse is a blessing. Having food on our table, health is a blessing. But sometimes poor health 
is also a blessing from God. It reminds us not to get attached to this decaying world, that there's another kingdom. That's his kingdom of glory. We're about to get into that coming. And so we're told this is the generation who keeps on carefully seeking him. And the Hebrew word for generation, maybe in English today, we'd say this is the kind of people who keep seeking him. The ones who are saved, who he's caused their salvation, he's ruled in his kingdom of power to put him in his invisible church, his kingdom of grace. They're the ones then who seek after him. It's not until you're in his kingdom of grace that you'll actually seek after him. And you're doing that now. You've come to hear the word, to hear the good news of forgiveness and to thank the Lord for it. And so we're told those who keep on earnestly seeking your face and the Hebrew just here says Jacob. Now I... I think it's appositional here, explaining what's going on. Remember, you've heard me say many times there's a union you have. When the Holy Spirit gives you faith, He connects you to Christ as the branch is to the vine. You're a branch connected to that vine. I'm a branch connected to that vine. So you and I are connected by Jesus. That makes us Jacob. Jacob who wrestled with the Lord. Jacob who tried to get the blessing out of God by deceiving his father. His father should have never planned on giving the, the blessing to Esau. Because he knew God had already said that blessing of the coming Messiah was Jacob's. Jacob tried to deceive the Lord. Jacob ran out and tried to do things his own way. But God still remained his God and God kept his promises. And through Jacob's son Judah, the Savior would be born. And you and I are made part of that family and we are united together because we're in his kingdom of grace. Now... The people had cried out, blessed is the coming kingdom of our father David. The kingdom is coming, the kingdom of glory. And in fact, we were told that in our epistle lessons in Philippians chapter 2, verse 11. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is the Lord to the glory of God the Father. That comes at the end. Right now, his kingdom of grace has gone out and extends from sea to sea, from the rivers to the ends of the earth, as Zechariah had prophesied. But his kingdom of glory is when he returns and he rips sin out of the world and he sends all those who rejected them to hell and he gives you the new heavens and the new earth and the glorified body he promised you. And all of us will be in his very visible, very seeable kingdom and there will be no sin, there will be no tears, there will be no misery and sorrow. So each kingdom serves one the next. The kingdom of power is used to put you in his kingdom of grace and when you're in his kingdom of grace, you will receive his kingdom of glory that comes comes when he returns. And so we're told, lift up your heads, you gates, and lift yourselves up, you ancient doors, so that the king of glory may come in. Brothers and sisters in Christ, here's an interesting thing, going right back to the mystical union of believers. Peter tells us in his first epistle, you're the temple of the Lord. Your bricks built upon the cornerstone of Jesus Christ. But while you are the temple of the Lord in that temple, that's the kingdom of grace. That's the invisible church. It will be seen on the day of his glory You're also now priests who serve the temple. The temple was closed off at night. They closed the doors and just the priests, they had work they did at night there at the Old Testament temple. But you get to fling the doors open wide. How do you do that? God's Holy Spirit makes people believers, but he gives you the privilege of sharing his word. He gives you the privilege of telling others their sins are forgiven. And the less enjoyable task for those who are persisting in their sin and letting it ruin their salvation, you also have the task of locking the gates to his temple in hopes that they will repent and want to see those gates open with the forgiveness of sins. So when you share the word, when you forgive sins, think of it this way. 
You're giving the person the kingdom of glory. You're assuring them that the temple of the Lord is open for them and they will receive the new heavens and the new earth and they will receive a glorified body. So we're told, who is the king of glory? The Lord, powerful and mighty. The Lord is mighty in battle. That's Good Friday. The battle where he defeats the greatest foe, the devil. The devil's already conquered, brothers and sisters in Christ. You're in his kingdom of grace. So the kingdom of glory is just something you're waiting. It's just a matter of time. It's as good as done. It's yours. The devil's never going to get a sucker punch in and defeat the Lord. He can't. He's chained. His claim to you is gone because you've been washed in the blood of the Lamb. And that means his kingdom, this powerful God, doesn't look powerful hanging on the cross because he's defeating the dark spiritual forces of sin, death, and the devil. He's defeating him so he can put you in his eternal glorious kingdom. And so we're told, lift up your heads, you gates. Lift up your ancient doors so that the king of glory may come in. Who is the king of glory? The Lord of multitudes. That Hebrew word can also be translated armies. He had said on the night he was betrayed that he could call on, on a legion of angels and they would come to his defense. He had told Pilate, my servants would come to me and prevent my arrest. The Lord can, can, he can use insects as he did with the Egyptians. He can use the power of the sun and the stars because he made it all. All power is at his disposal. Nobody can destroy it. And yet he's ruled over all creation to put you in his kingdom of grace so that he can give you what he intended for Adam and Eve before they send and all their descendants that kingdom of glory. And so we can say, Amen. He is the King of glory. Today, as Jesus enters Jerusalem using the psalm, we see the threefold kingdom of Christ, his kingdom of power, that's his rule over all creation, which he uses to bring you to and keep you into his second kingdom, his kingdom of grace. That's the invisible church. And when you're in that kingdom, that culminates in his return, in the eternal kingdom, the kingdom of his glory. Amen. And now the Lord lets you, his servants, depart in peace according to his word. For your eyes have seen God's salvation, which he has prepared in the sight of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for the glory of his people, Israel. Amen.